Mets fans, prepare yourselves to get Metsmerized! Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Get Metsmerized podcast presented as always by MetsmerizedOnline.com. I'm your host, Sal Manzo, back again this week, joined by MMO executive editor Mike Mayer and friend of the show, Patrick Glenn. Patrick, thanks a lot for filling in for me last week, buddy. Uh, no problem. No problem. The audio uh, wasn't up to, I think, my own standard, but uh, me and Mike had a fun time. Welcome back. That's okay. I did that on purpose because I don't want you to wally pit me, but it went well, so it's fine. <laughs> Mike, how you doing? Everything's good? Oh, yeah. Uh, excited to see some real fake baseball. It's been great. And speaking of which, uh, we got our first real fake baseball starting over the last few days. Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom made their spring trading debuts. And stop if you've heard me before. Uh, they're both still good at baseball. They can throw the baseball very well. Uh, Max did it a little more than Jake, but Jake was very impressive. Really cool now to see Max Scherzer in a Mets uniform on a mound facing another team. It really finally felt real. So I just wanted to kind of talk to you guys about really that's the two shining things I would say before spring. The two horses went out there, did their thing, did well. Hopefully there's a lot more of it. So, Mike, I'll start with you and your kind of initial reactions. Both were really impressive for, as you kind of noted, two different reasons. I mean, Scherzer went out there in his first spring start and went five innings and 72 pitches. Like, who 72. does that? Seventy-two. <laughs> what are we in the seventies again? Like people don't do that. I mean, he looked good. He gave up a run in the first inning on, uh, I mean, a soft run, a bunt, a stolen base, and a set a couple of non-hits that scored him. So yeah, I mean, a soft run, and then he only gave up one run in five innings. Fastball looked pretty good. His velocity came on later in the outing he was pretty much right around what he was last year with his fastball velocity uh movement looked good i looked like matt scherzer yeah i don't think there's really any concerns about his arm after seeing him throw and then uh degrom i mean where do you start five strikeouts and in two innings fastball average 97.7 had a couple sliders at 92 i mean you couldn't even hit a slider he threw 10 sliders seven swings six misses like that's just video game stuff that's like that's just like pitching against little leaguers it's just not fair and that's the first time he's pitched since july 7th so it's just he looked sharp he looked fine obviously the thing with degrom is just seeing him continue to go out there and uh keep pitching to see him pitch again in his next spring training start buck talked today and didn't didn't say anything negative about potential injuries or soreness or anything with DeGrom. So, I mean, essentially every day after we get from that start is just good news that we don't hear anything on DeGrom. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to not get pretty excited about the fact that we're finally getting to watch these guys pitch for the Mets back to back and only a couple of weeks away from opening day now. Absolutely. So, Patrick, what do you think? You think they're uh, primed to make the club or what? I think they might. I think Buck kind of joked. He's like, yeah, I think he got a chance to ground it. Um, yeah, I, I, just these couple starts here were, were really telling just how important the Max Scherzer signing was, I think. Just in the fact that they are clearly going to take it very slow with DeGrom. Just based on his two innings on uh, Tuesday, 
He'll probably get three his next start, four his next start after that, and then it's opening day, which they've already said DeGrom's getting the ball on opening day, which kind of lines him up probably around five innings. I think that's kind of how it ended up being last year, too. I think he only threw five innings on opening day. But again, like, Scherzer just threw five innings, like, in his first spring start. Granted, this might be his typically his third start or something like that, but we talked about it on the podcast probably right soon after Scherzer signed, I guess it was during the lockout, but Scherzer talked to Tim Britton about his whole offseason routine. And again, another side of the Scherzer aspect too, is they signed a guy who has his own routine. It's not like Jeremy Hefner really needed to get on the same page with him or he needed tips and tricks of how to really ramp up his offseason routine. And here he is after, you know, days and days and days and months and months really of labor negotiations kept up with his training, hopped right back in it. And now he's thrown five innings in mid-March, you know? Um, And like uh, Mike mentioned, like his fastball velocity was right around 94, 95, somewhere around there. And that's what it's been for Scherzer for five or six years now. Um, Not that he was ever really like throwing wildly hard. It's not like he ever threw like 99, 100, like DeGrom kind of throws now, which is really nice to see Scherzer do that. And it kind of just reminded you that Scherzer, it's kind of very nice that the Mets can call Scherzer like an insurance policy for Jacob DeGrom, you know, like usually that would be what the Chris Bassett trade for is for, you know, like just in case DeGrom does kind of have ailments throughout the season, but yeah, we'll kind of see how it goes, but it was a, it was great to see DeGrom and Scherzer both out there. Yeah. I think uh, while we're on the starter note, we should point out that uh, Tyler McGill pitched the other day too, and through three scoreless innings and he actually hit 97 a couple of times. That's not something we really saw at all last year from him. So, I mean, it's good to see him. He said he had thrown a couple of – he had done a couple of games before getting into spring training where he was training, building up. So, seeing him pitch well, strong already. I mean, McGill, the Mets have their five starters, but McGill's probably pretty easily that number six. And number six starter on any year, is going to get plenty of action and number six starter on this season where we're starting short and quick and Walker, Taiwan Walker hasn't made any starts yet. Yeah. I think McGill's going to be an important part for the Mets this year. I I wouldn't be shocked to see him make 15 or 16 starts this year. Yeah. So you remember last season when just with all the rainouts the Mets had at the beginning of the season, and then also just kind of naturally how MLB builds schedules the first month of the season is there's, you know, you play a Thursday game, you have an off day Friday, you play Saturday, Sunday, you have another off day Monday. And it's really kind of just disjointed a little bit. Last season, to, to my knowledge, or from what I remember, the Mets didn't have to use a fifth starter until almost May. That's totally different this time around. The Mets are starting the season, I'm pretty sure, playing at least seven straight games. And then they have an off day and then they play like 10 more straight games. Like, And we'll see how many people can get built up for. But going back to your point about Tyler McGill, the Mets might end up using him, you know, in the first couple of days of the, you know, first couple of weeks of the season, especially if they start running with a, a 28 man roster instead of a 26 man roster. And on Tyler McGill, he definitely got the early start above David Peterson for first man up uh, from Syracuse when they need a starter. I feel bad for Peterson in the sense that, like, you know, two years ago, he had the good season in 2020, you know, didn't pitch well last year, had the injuries. McGill came on, had a, you know, great first half of his year. Agree right now that early on, McGill has the edge. But, you know, hopefully, we know the Mets need a left hander, right? We know Loop's not here. We know they still need a guy, you know, a 
you know, a left-handed reliever in the pen. Someone can get, you know, leverage outs there. Maybe Peterson can be that guy. I know there's been like talks of it, but maybe he can convert to a guy that, that, you know, shoves all out inning or two and can, can be that guy. And it seems like a lot of the players on the team in general are embracing like whatever role they need to win, right. Whatever's going to help the team. So, you know, maybe with that, that can, you know, you know, be a, a, diamond in the rough so to speak with the Mets but uh as far as the Scherzer and DeGrom stuff go I, I want to give Scherzer a lot of credit because I was a little nervous during the lockout with how you know involved he was obviously you know leading the negotiations on the player side uh him and Lindor specifically um but you know with Scherzer an older pitcher a lockout short spring training I was nervous and a little worried like how this was going to affect him if he would be behind schedule or anything but props to him man he is about winning he you know puts his money where his mouth is in that in uh you know money's where his mouth is in that regard he came to spring training ready to rock ready to work like you know patrick you mentioned he has his own routine now you see why the mets spent so much money for him and for a short period because you know what you're getting you're getting you know not only one of the best pitchers of his generation we know that but now you're seeing why he's like that now we get to see it up close and personal um what you know it takes to get put into that so it's awesome so yesterday um, Scherzer was joking around with the ground, like, hey, mixing a first pitch curveball. He did. And Jake gave him a little, you know, wink on the mound. That was awesome. I need a camera in the dugout this year at all times. Hello, SMY. Anyone, you know, if I got anybody that's still, that's still working there, listen up. I need a camera in the dugout of the Grom and Scherzer at all times throughout this year. All times. Pitching, yeah, my, my, not pitching. My get- Sorry, my guess is that's not the first time we hear about something like that where like Scherzer's like, hey, DeGrom, go do this. And maybe DeGrom will be like, hey, how about you do this? And it'll be a treat. It's so cool. So I, again, we've, it, it, we get to finally talk about baseball stuff now that that season's here. And this is what we're waiting for. These two guys in the same dugout, talking shop, pushing one another. This, it's going to be so much fun to see. And on the Grom thing real quick, I did find it interesting. You know, he mentioned that he was a little nervous going into this, which is funny because it obviously didn't show the performance was pretty damn good. And he talked about how, which, you know, we've talked about leading up to this, how, He's learning now to sit at 97, 98 with the fastball. So, you know, pitching, pitching that fastball at like 85%, you know, not living at a hundred. Not that he can't. And he said that he can't, but learning to kind of, and it's fun. Ron Darling talks about it a lot during his broadcast is, you know, went to tick it up, dial it back, you know, taught now to, to throw through a wall max effort every time. But like part of pitching is learning when to pitch at, you know, 80%. And then we need to dial up for that hundred with the two strikes. So I'm interested, this interested to see how DeGrom progresses there. Obviously it seems pretty good. Um, you know, it hasn't missed a beat, but you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how that sustains and, you know, pull the reins in, so to speak, but evolving as a pitcher and making sure now, because we know that health, there's a potential issue for this team and making sure that you're there to make your 25 plus starts. Hopefully yeah. Patrick, I think you had another comment. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that might be something that, that DeGrom kind of maybe picks up a little bit from Scherzer, right? Cause like five years ago, Scherzer definitely could be throwing harder than 94, 95, probably consistently. And you'll see sometimes in amped up moments, Scherzer will dial it up to 98 or so. So obviously DeGrom throws like an easy 99, an easy 100, and then it occasionally it'll kind of hop up to 101, 102. But yeah, I mean, I think DeGrom can find some pretty nice success just kind of with that fastball sitting at 98, 99. Um, and then, like you said, like that might mean preserving your arm a little bit longer or something like that. We'll have to see. Because again, with DeGrom's mechanics, I think we've talked about it before. He is so robotic. His release point is so precise all the time. And his location is basically always on point, at least for the past couple of years. Um, is that like, 
will that be different if he kind of takes it a little bit easier? You know what I mean? Will that mess up with mechanics? And then again, but he picks up on things very quickly and, you know, he's always critiquing his own routine. So we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I think we need to realize, you know, as fans too, the goal is right. Is, is, is not just pitching through a season. It's pitching into the playoffs into October, November. So that's hopefully the thought process there. So they could prolong that. So that's, you know, a great start. Nothing but good stuff there. I know there was a little worry, maybe potentially that some Metsies might be not be able to play home games. Um, but that seems like that's changed. Um, the mayor Adams is apparently going to announce tomorrow that he's going to lift restrictions on performers and athletes who are, you know, unvaccinated with the COVID vaccine to be able to play home games. I don't want to spend a million years on this, but I am happy that that was resolved and, and this, that won't be an issue going forward. So, uh, you know, Mike, I don't know if you had any comments there on that before we move on. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly taking away from a talking point because this was getting ready to be, a pretty big issue because the Mets have they end the Mets ended last season with the vaccination rate of their players at just above 50%. So we're talking about a team that had a lot of unvaccinated players. A couple of them did leave via free agency. A couple of have been vaccinated from the people I've talked to in the last couple of weeks. There was there's prominent players on the Mets that are unvaccinated this was gonna hurt their pitching staff and some of their offense too so this from talking to people there was definitely a couple that were willing to hold out and not play the home game so this is something that was going to affect the Mets for sure I'm kind of glad that we're not going to continue to have that conversation and I'm glad that it's resolved and we can kind of go back to a little bit normal Absolutely. And I, I want to shout out Robinson Cano, um, all joking aside. Uh, he was very excited to tell everyone that he did indeed get a shot in his arm and he was not going to get in trouble for it. So I wanted to just, you know, shout him out there for that. Good job, Robinson. We That's great. I'm going to leave that one uh, as it is. Patrick, uh, any thoughts on this, you know, real quick before we move on? Uh, I have lots of thoughts on this. Um, will I share every single one of them in this moment? Um no, but I, I mean, I mean, like Mike said, like, yeah, it's probably good that it won't be a distraction. Um, especially, you know, the spring too, I mean, knock on wood so far, things have been going pretty smoothly for the Mets and there is a sense of professionalism around the Mets. And clearly that would have been totally disrupted, you know, on the first, you know, series of the, the first home series of, of the season it would not have been good. Um, Cause like Mike said there, it would affect some prominent players. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate it had to kind of come to that point where, you know, it was going to start affecting the Yankees and the Mets and obviously, you know, the NBA playoffs and things like that, because obviously there's a Kyrie Irving element to this as well. Um, and ever since the mayor was, uh, you know, inducted uh, in early January, that's basically all he's talked about, it seems like to me, is, is about this vaccine mandate. But I guess from a purely baseball perspective and like a Met fan perspective, yeah, it'll be kind of, you know, it'll be nice to kind of just move on from that because there is just a small group of players on this Mets team or there's a group of players on this Mets team that really won't be consistently asked that question, you know, and that can provide a distraction, I guess. Um, Obviously, that's a very minuscule point 
in comparison to the entire pandemic and you know all that stuff but um yeah so i'll leave it at that absolutely either way i'm just glad it's something we don't have to kind of talk about anymore and you know whatever whatever that stuff is it is and now we get to the ball which is nice and speaking of that obviously there's a new met in town Charlie Marte. he hasn't really done too much with the sore oblique he did participate today in a sim game playing right field and took some quote swing licks at bats because due to that sore oblique you know kind of a two-parter here guys um Mike, I'll start with you. One, are we worried about Marte not being able to be in the lineup every day? You know, that's been kind of the, the main knock of his that, you know, staying on the field and staying healthy. And do you like the idea of him playing more of a corner outfield spot, particularly right field, and then assuming Nimmo slots to center field? And then if you do, my next question to that would be, then why did you sign Stalling Marte? Because you needed to, you wanted to sign a center fielder. So I guess uh, let's start uh, at the beginning then, Mike. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are questioning, well, why are we signing Starling? Why did they sign Starling Marte if Nimmo's going to be in center? Um, I mean, I mean, you go out and get a guy like Starling Marte because he's a good player. I, I don't think you specifically – they didn't sign him because he was a stellar defensive center fielder because he's not. I mean, that's why ultimately they feel comfortable with Nimmo in center field. Nimmo was better in center field by – virtually every metric there is last year over Marte. I don't, I don't think that's going to change much at Marte's point in his career where he's 33. I, I don't think we're going to see a big difference there. So I think, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you would have liked to seen the Mets get someone with a higher offensive potential. That's more of a right fielder, but I, I think Marte's still a good fit for this team. They needed a top of the lineup guy who's going to get on base and I, I think they needed, they wanted some speed too. And Marte is going to be a good defender in right field. He's, I mean, he has a chance to be a really good defender there. And the Mets now have an outfield where with Canna, Marte, and Nimmo, where all three of those guys can play all three positions. So it just gives them a ton of flexibility, um, gives Joe Walter a ton of flexibility late in games to plug and do a bunch of different things. So yeah, I, I think Nimmo in center and Marte in right for the most part is the right move. Um, Marte's still going to end up in center some games. Nimmo's not going to play 150 games. Marte's not going to play 150 games. So, I mean, these guys are going to mix and match. I, but I do think Nimmo getting the majority in starts in center is the right thing. Interesting. Patrick, I want to get to you in just a second. But, Mike, to what you were saying, you know, I, I'm a little annoyed, disappointed, only in the sense – um, you know, I, I was excited for the Mets to get a quote unquote, like legitimate center fielder, because I, I didn't want to see Nimmo play center field strictly for me, keep him healthy. Um, I, I'd like to see him stay in left field for the fact that I want him in the lineup every day. He's an elite, one of the most elite leadoff hitters in the game. When he plays, he's a table setter. Um, so I, I guess maybe for me, I let, I, it's less about Marte and more about like keeping Nimmo as healthy as I can. And that was kind of, I, to me, the whole point of getting a center fielder was so that Nimmo could slot to a corner spot and, you know, hopefully keep him a little more healthy, but obviously, um, you know, I do agree in the sense that you have three guys out there that could play all three spots and, and the way baseball is now guys play different positions. Um, so I, you know, I, Nimmo did play a much better set defensive center field last year too. And, and interesting that you mentioned the numbers. Um, I didn't even know that about how statistically um, Nimmo was a better defensive center field than Marte last year, but I just, Nimmo is so important to me at the top of the lineup. I just, you know, want to, what I, a priority for me was keeping him healthy as opposed to, you know, putting him in a more premier position center field. But Mike, I think you had another quick point. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's important to remember that this, I mean, the Mets are looking at this year by year. Right. Nimmo is a free agent after this year and could very well be gone. So then Marte, if you don't get another center field type thing, then Marte can shift back in the center if that's mm-hmm. what you want to do. So, yeah, I think, I mean, in the short term, I'm not really worried about Nimmo. I don't think there's a huge difference between him playing center and playing right. I mean, what what's he probably going to end up probably play like 90 games in center field. I, I don't, I don't think you're risking too much more injury wise there. So yeah, I, I think in the short term move, the Mets understand that with Nimmo and center and Marte and right, you're actually improving two positions because with uh, Marte clearly has a better arm than Nimmo and Canna. So having him in right field, I think improves that position too. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is coming from the analytics department. I mean, they're the ones that kind of helped position and improve Nimmo's defense and center to begin with. So I'm sure they, in some meeting, the analytics groups, like, look, this, this is where Nimmo is. This is why he's a better defender in center field. And this is where we should go moving forward. Patrick, the other part, the other part of this too, is that like, I don't know. Brendan Nimmo's kind of gotten hurt when he's played the corner outfield too, you know? Um, unfortunately, he's a guy who's struggled to stay on the field an entire season wherever he's played. So, I mean, I can see scenarios too where like, all right, Marte starts the game in center and then moves over to right. And Nimmo might come in as a late inning guy. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Mets are more interested in like actually finding a kind of defensive first center fielder as like a fifth guy on the bench or something like that. Um, so they could maybe avoid those sort of situations. But yeah, I mean, Sal, it's a very fair point, though. I mean, playing center, you presume kind of puts a little bit more on the legs and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good problem to have when you're kind of like thinking about this whole outfield alignment and whatnot. Um, and, you know, they got Marte for four years and 78 million. And if he ends up as their right fielder, you can think of it as he's kind of the guy replacing Conforto, who still isn't signed. Um, I don't know if he was signed or if he was signed by now, like if he would be making Marte money, um, I'm not sure what his asking price is. Um, but I'm sure if maybe you told the Mets at the beginning of the off season that they'd be able to get Conforto for four for 78 or something like that, they would have done it in a heartbeat. Um, I don't know if Conforto would have, um, maybe he might now, but, um, again, these are all good problems to have. Um, and, and just like Mike said, I mean, shoot, Marte might wind up playing 120 games in center field if they can't get something done with Nemo, uh, before he's a free agent next year. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I didn't even think of as far as Nimmo being his walk here. I was just kind of just thinking as far as optimizing, optimizing his offense. But I agree with you there. Um, you know, it's interesting. And Mike Conforto, like you said, still sitting out there. Um, I don't love Marcana as an everyday outfielder. I don't. I think at this point, it would be tough to get Conforto to come back here, even on a one-year deal. I just feel like he would kind of know that he'd be a platoon player, um, which would be perfect to be on to be honest with you and him and Canada lefty righty that would work out great um could even still could even do that with Jeff McNeil and Canada if you wanted to um if you can lengthen out the infield a little bit but I guess we'll see um you know I I personally thought more so like the first two years you're going to see Marte play in center field and the last couple is when he'd move kind of more more to the corner outfield but you know what um they have a lot like you said you know it's an embarrassment of riches kind of thing they have a lot of guys who can play a lot of different spots so whatever can optimize the lineup I guess I'm all for it um, let's get him on the field first too. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and in swinging at bats, I love the yes. whole swingless at bats. I know it's going on with tracking pitches, all that sort of thing, but like, 
have, have some friends kind of doing the, the cackle and now like this is what you know this was the knock on him you know this is, this is what he does uh hopefully it's not the case you know you look at him he's a he's a total stud you know people make their jokes like oh he needs to work out more like he looks like he was you know chiseled from rock but we just i don't get that that's a whole we could do a no whole, whole nother episode on that <laughs> on jacked athletes and pulling obliques and how fat athletes that did happen but that that's hey. i guess a whole other thing Marte threw in a curveball today. In one of his at bats, he uh, decided he was going to bunt and got off. So he, he 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 told the Mets. They said no swinging. He didn't swing. He bunted and he got a base hit. Caught the ball with his bat. Yeah. There you go. Well, I guess that's something. Uh, in past years, you know, he'd be Jed Larry. So I guess we can't. We shouldn't complain too much just yet. Um, but I wanted to move on, kind of from from the on the field stuff now to. Uh, MLB Network has been putting out their top 10 right now list. Um, I know we love that, especially Mike. And in particular, um, the Mets look good. And in, in a lot of the lists that they've put out, they have players on, on, on the positional list so far, um, which is pretty cool. Um, they have two in the top 10 for pitching, which is, uh, as we know, pretty great. Um, but in particular, I did want to talk about that starting pitcher list. Obviously, uh, top three is the Grom at one, Cole two, and Scherzer three, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think there's a couple of gripes in there. I know Mike probably has a big one toward the bottom of the list. That should probably be replacing Cole at two there. He just won a Cy Young this year. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to get you guys thoughts overall on the list. I know it's it's an arbitrary thing, you know, and it changes so much year to year, which is the kind of cool part of it, I guess, because, you, you know, it really rewards guys for when they have big seasons, you know, one year to the next or whatever. But um, Patrick, you know what? I'll start with you. And I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, these lists here. Honestly, my, my biggest takeaway from, I, I, I think they put out most of the list so far. Yeah. Um, I know they've done plenty of the infield and stuff like that. My biggest takeaway is how weak the catcher position is. I mean, there are probably like four or five like stud catchers in the game. And then after that, it's kind of like, you know, I think Yadier Molina might've been fifth or sixth. Travis Darno was seventh. Yeah. And I mean, like Travis Darno was seventh because he had like, he, he didn't even have a healthy he, season. Last I was going to say just, he didn't play for like four months. <laughs> It's just when he did play, he played pretty well. And I mean, James McCann, who I think will admit himself played pretty poorly last year. And before that was not an everyday player was ninth on the list. Um, so that kind of really just, that made me think of our conversation with Keith law way back uh, when, where he was just like, yeah, I, I really highly rate catchers. Cause if you hit on a catcher, that's like a position where, especially if you can produce offensively, you can really be ahead of the game in that sense. Um, so that's what I'm looking at you, Francisco Alvarez. But then, yeah, on top of the pitcher list too, I think I was just confused. I'm like, hey, are these lists based solely on last year? Or is there any sort of like, all right, yeah, maybe last year they might have underperformed a little bit. And then, you know, this upcoming, you know, but then also maybe they have like a eight-year history of playing pretty well. You know what I mean? Because um, like Nolan Arenado, I think, was maybe like the seventh or eighth ranked third baseman. You know, when really you might be able to objectively say, hey, he's been like one of the three best third basemen over the last 10 years. Um, so it seemed like it did trend a little bit more toward like last year's performance, um, which I think was pretty surprising. Why DeGrom was there, obviously, in half the games, you know, in, half, in the games that he played, it was amazing, but he'd been playing all the games. So, yeah, that was kind of my biggest takeaway, really just a, a, a slight confusion on how they really populate the lists and then also just like francisco alvarez might be like the number four uh, you know if he plays a half a season in the league or something like that 
He is. I'm. I'm gonna. We're gonna keep on track. But you know, watching how he got in that bat last night, it was. He's a tank. He's an absolute tank. He's built like uh, like a refrigerator. It looks like it. He's only 20 years old. The 95 was fitting on him too because he looks like just a nose tackle. Someone's gonna eat up a quarterback. Uh, but I'm glad he's catching and, and can hit bombs. But uh, you know, uh, I thought it was funny too in these lists that I saw Lindor. I think was ranked nine among shortstops. Um. I was pretty surprised that that only sense because he had such a poor offensive year and he, he missed most of the second half. But I, I mean, when he was on the field, the Mets won and he played stellar defense and obviously a position like that. I'm sure that's going to, um, you know, bode more than others. But Mike, I want to get, you know, your kind of thoughts on these lists. Let's go over the starting pitcher. <laughs> One is DeGrom, two Cole, three Scherzer, four Walker Bueller, five Brandon Woodruff, six Zach Wheeler, seven Lance Lynn, eight. Shane Bieber, nine Corbin Burns, 10 Lucas Giolito. How the hell is Corbin Burns ninth on that list? He's not, he's not even number one on the Brewers, apparently. <laughs> Four spots below Woodruff. And he's below Lance Lynn? I liked me some Lance Lynn and the chubby celebrations and stuff, but come on. Lance Lynn above Shane Bieber and Corbin Burns. And I mean, Robbie Ray's not even on the list after winning a Cy Young. I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, they're fun discussion points. Like I, I tweeted out the list and people had fun with the pitcher list for sure. And I mean, speaking just from like a Met standpoint, I kind of figured DeGrom would be one. I was kind of surprised at Scherzer at three, honestly. I mean, I think I, I think you can reasonably argue that Burns and Bueller potentially two of those guys are ahead of him uh maybe even wheeler but yeah i I mean it's certainly cool as mets fans to have the number one and number three starters in the game according to that list um i mean the rest of i mean even mcneil was at, at number nine um the mets have had i think tonight is right field so uh I, tonight i think is relief pitchers Relief. No, they already oh, did. That was yesterday. Too. Excuse me. No. Yeah. And I w- honestly, I was surprised that uh, Edwin Diaz didn't even make the list. I mean, I, I think I think you can make a pretty good argument that Edwin Diaz is a top 10 reliever in baseball. I, I think that's I mean, I don't think he's close to the top five of the list, but they had guys like Jordan Romano on there and uh, who I can't remember the rest of the list. But it, that, that was one name that jumped out of me. I, not that. Jordan didn't have a great year last year for the Blue Jays. He certainly did, but he's not someone that comes to mind when you're talking about top 10 reliever in baseball. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun discussion points. And yeah, I think, I think right fields tonight. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know who they're going to classify if uh, it's Canaha that it would be from the Mets and then they haven't done center field. So I'm sure, I'm sure Nimmo will be on the back end of that list too, but yeah. Conforto. yeah, conf- yeah. Who knows? Maybe Conforto will make it on the list without a team. Uh, yeah, to talk about him a little bit. While I mean, while we're talking about him, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I know it's been a topic of conversation with Mets fans because, yeah, I mean, you got the DH. So, and we talked about Marte and Nimmo, how they don't, they don't play more than 120 games a year. So you're gonna need a good fourth, fifth outfielder. Um, I, I just don't see it. The fit from Conforto standpoint so so let's say that Conforto is fine with ending up and taking a one-year deal 
worth like 20 million, which is probably what his one year deal would be. I don't understand why he would come to New York and be kind of a, a rotating outfielder in a ballpark that's not conducive to offensive numbers. Um, he's going to really take a one year deal. I think he's going to do it somewhere. He's going to play every single day and is in a pitcher's park. I asked around today and it sounded like his asking price was still pretty significant, which I, I, don't, I don't think is outrageous. I mean, just two days ago, Trevor Story got six years, 140 million early last week. Chris Bryant got 182 million. Um, I don't, I don't think Conforto is as good as either of those guys, but just shows that we can still be late in the process and Conforto still get a, I mean, like a, three-year $65 million contract or something like that. He's not just going to fall into someone's lap for a year and $10 million. That's just unrealistic. Yeah, no, I mean, like, he, he's, he's sorry. He, he's at least as good as Castellanos and Schwarber though. And they just got their 19, 20 million, you know? Um, so I, I would imagine that if he is able to find a long-term deal with one of these teams, he might've just been like, you know, there was a group of 10 outfielders that were trying to get signed. He might be the odd man out. Um, and he might have to take a one-year deal. I'm kind of terrified that he might sign in Atlanta. That's like such an Atlanta Braves move is to sign a, someone like Conforto to a one-year deal and get what they can out of him, and then he'll sign a long-term deal elsewhere. Yeah, and I've seen like – I've heard maybe – I've seen the Marlins uh, maybe linked to him a little bit, which might make sense because he hits well in that park. Colorado I've seen. For one-year deal, man, go to Colorado, mash, go get paid. That's what I would do. If I was any sort of power, any sort of hitter, go, and I needed to, you know, get – Get a year straight, go there, mash, and then go collect after that. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll see. It's interesting. I, I would, at this point, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of having him back long-term, um, but, you know, for the way things are looking now, I like I said, it would be great to have him back on like a one-year deal. I just don't see him coming back, like you guys are saying, being a platoon player. We'll see, though, because we're getting, getting real close to opening day, and I'm sure he wants to play somewhere, so I guess we'll see. You know, other than that, I did want to touch quick on the Otani rule that was put in, which I think maybe is the best thing baseball has done in a while. They got something right. And then they didn't get something right by we're bringing back the ghost runner in extra (laughs) innings. I was told that things were agreed upon and that was not coming back, but apparently that was uh, not true. The ghost runner is back. I'm sure everyone's very excited about that. I'm sure, you know, uh, especially the pitchers. Um, But, you know, real quick, Mike uh, talked to you a little bit about the, the, runner on second extra innings coming back and then uh, give me thoughts on the Otani rule, which I think rules. I mean, yeah. Any, anything that allows me to see Otani hit more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm all for that. So do whatever you can to make that happen. I, I'm fine with that. Ghost runner. Yeah. No, no, thanks. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure John Heyman might be the only one on earth that likes it considering his tweet today in support of it and how bad his ratio ended up. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just so gimmicky. Like I, I just don't understand it. Um, I know a couple of managers have talked out in support of it. I think it was Craig council has talked about how he likes it. Um, yeah, I, I, I just can't get on board with it. It just feels too gimmicky to me. It just does. And I, and I'm not like one that's like, Oh, I'm so old school baseball. Don't change all the rules. Like I'm willing to like, if there's something you think that's really going to help the game, let's go ahead and do it. But I run around second to start. I let's do a home run derby. What are are we doing? It just feels super gimmicky to me. 
Yeah, you know, please don't do a home run derby to end extra inning. You definitely <laughs> all-star game. I'm all for that. That would be awesome. So they should definitely do that. Um, but, you know, the runner on second thing, if they would start it in the 11th inning, I think a lot of people would hate it less. I think if you gave each team an inning, or I should say a half inning, to, to win the game normally, and then if you don't win in the 10th, Start in the 11th, you have the runner on second. I think that would be, a, you know, a nice medium. I understand you don't want to have guys see the 15 inning games and, and, you know, you know, kill your pitching staff, your bullpen and all that. I understand. Um, but I think, you know, starting it right out and that, that, that sucks. But again, if you, if you, if you gave a little bit of real baseball, one real inning, and then after that, that would be a nice meeting, but they don't pay me to make those decisions. Um, love the Otani rule. It's awesome. Um, I agree with you, Mike, anything to keep in the lineup longer. They, they basically took one of my men's league rules, put it in. I think it's really cool. Um, you know, late in the game, you, you know, obviously they have trout, but you know, right now their best hitter, you want him, you know, up in those moments as much as you can. So I think they got uh, the rare W there. Uh, Patrick, let me hear your thoughts. Does Otani want to hit after throwing seven innings? Yes. <laughs> like that's that. I mean, we want him to hit, but like, does Otani want to hit, you know, like I'm, I'm wondering like, is he going to throw seven innings? He goes down. Maybe he's going to come up in the ninth or something like that. And like, does he go ice his arm, take the ice off, come back up, swing? Like, when does he ice? His, I'm just like wondering what his whole process after pitching seven innings is, you know, like, does he still actually want to do it? Um, I know it's meant to promote more two-way players and stuff like that, because like two-way players still want to hit all the time. Um, but I just wonder if on certain days, if that's more of like a rule that kind of like, maybe optically will play well, but like practically I'm like, will it make sense for Otani to continue hitting while he's trying to like maybe ice down his shoulder or something like that. But again, Otani is a guy who's done it clearly for a while um, or has wanted to do it for a while. So he has his own process and what will work for Otani may not work for the other kind of two-way players of the world. Um, so I guess we'll see how it goes, but I mean, just like you guys, the more he's up and the more he could potentially hit the better. Um, and I just got to say before we go, I don't hate the ghost runner. I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. I like Sal said, I think it would make a lot more sense if it started in the 11th or 12th inning. Um, but at a certain point you're just like, all right, well, if we're going to do like, we're going to do three innings of normal overtime rules. And then, you know, it's just like, why are we even doing those normal extra inning rules at all? Um, so I could see it. Um, and again, MLB's clear goal is to cut down the time of games. If they're able to do that, obviously the ghost runner works. I think most games end after 10 or 11 innings, then that then they're going to do it. Um, whether we like it or not, clearly that's Rob Manfred's kind of mantras. He'll do it uh, if we like it or not, but I don't hate it. I, I think you'll like it a lot more when the Mets start winning more with the ghost runner because I, I have a feeling that the Mets did not perform very well in extra innings last year, um, especially with men in running position or in scoring position. You know, they weren't, they weren't that good. The second thing. That's, that's a fact. Um, hopefully that changes a little bit. Like I said, it seems like the, uh, the vibe and the culture overall has changed with, with new ownership and all that kind of stuff. So maybe this will, you know, come with it. Um, you know, um, Robinson Cano still plays on the Mets. I'm just ending the show. Cause you know, we like to talk about Robinson Cano. I already made fun of him once, but um, they made the Mets made a wallpaper for him today. I just needed to get that out there. No one wants that. You can use that for any other. There's what 28 spots on the roster. The 20, there's 27 other guys who can make a wallpaper. His children, them. his children want the wallpaper. They, they could just copy and paste his stories. That's all they need to do. <laughs> They'll get it there. Mike, what's up? I just wanted to drop in that Saturday morning, 
very, very early. I believe my flight is 540 a.m. I will be flying down to Port St. Lucie, uh, get there in time for that, cover that game. And nice. then the, the next day and then uh, an away game on Tuesday as well. So check out MMO uh, and my Twitter handle. Uh, have some. Hopefully going to catch some minor league stuff too to get some video out there and uh, get the heck out of the main weather for a couple of days. There we go. And uh, confirm we're going to have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer on the show together. Uh, Mike just said that. I don't know if you heard it. That, that's what he was confirming there. So we'll look out for that next week. No, that's great. Enjoy it. Um, hopefully we get some good stuff from there. Um, that'll do it for the show this week. Uh, tune in, like Mike said, for all his coverage while he's down at spring next week. And, uh, you know, until then, don't forget to get mesmerized. Get mesmerized, get mesmerized.